Tim, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, how you got into um, the farm and ranch life, and uh, uh, a little bit of background about what you're doing these days? Sure. Uh, I grew up on a farm my whole life out in the central part of Kansas, and uh, I guess it just got instilled in me, uh, whatnot. I always kind of envisioned that that's what I would do when I grew up, and I took a little detour in the in the between high school and and real life to I guess see what was out in the world and uh, it took me a little while to get back into the farming part of it but we're doing that full time now after a stint of uh, drafting and architecture and uh, trust engineering in the middle of all that. Which is a uh... Um, very common in the farming uh, industry. People come from the trust designer field. I actually, I have to wonder, does any of your education for that in the way that you think about things because of being behind a desk and doing the drafting and all that stuff, I wonder if you found some of that to help you at all in, in your uh, farming and rancher, or is it just so entirely different? It doesn't, it doesn't line up. Oh, the, the mathematics part of it and the experience of that has definitely helped, especially when I'm building things or repairing equipment or um, things like that, that, you know, that there's a lot of it that can relate to it with trying to figure out the, the mathematical side of things. Can you, um, uh, uh, you're talking to an amateur here anyway, when it comes to uh, farming and math. When I uh, was talking to you, this was a couple of years back, it had to do with like just figuring out how much you have to feed the herd. And there's a, like a lot more math to ranching than I would have ever dreamed of. I thought, you know, in, in my mind, it's just make sure they're fed and have enough available but there's a whole, I mean, this stuff costs money, right? Uh, there's a whole plan in this out. And, uh, um, and, and how much the weather and the variability in that affects everything that you do. So um, I, I'm going to jump into, uh, this is kind of what we're here to talk about. What are some of those mistakes that you can make, whether it's estimation or just whatever? I don't want to lead you down there. Just what are some of those mistakes that can be pretty significant um, to the outcome or of you being successful in what you do and how do you prevent those? I guess to me one of the the biggest things with farming and or ranching is that you have to always be prepared for all of the tasks that are upcoming. There are so many variables that you can't control with weather for instance uh, that a lot of times we have a really small window to get something done. And when, when that window arrives, you have to be ready to, to get whatever it is that you need done, done at that time. Cause that might be the only window that you have for, this, for the whole year to do that particular task. Can you, um, can you give us an example just so we can make it a little bit real? You know, in, in for like mind. planting? All right, so planting. Field preparation done ahead of time on a timely manner that when it, when it comes time to plant the soybean, weather allows and the, that 
if, if you're not ready and you're doing all of these other things at that time when you should be, could be planting, then it might get too wet or too dry or. Yeah, that window of opportunity could just pass you by. Okay, and yield. Yeah, and then you're kind of standing there saying, well, I should have done this and I could have done that. And if only, you know, and, and all that stuff that just didn't happen. Uh, we call those counterfactuals. Um, and really, when people look back on things, they can say, well, you know, he should have done that. And he could have done that. You know, those are the ways that people point to learning opportunities, which is not really helpful at all. Uh, you need to be able to get out in front of things. You need to be able to uh, actually see things coming and, and be able to uh, work things into your calendar. Um, it's, it's not easy because, uh, like you said, the variable of the weather, that can be pretty dicey. Can, can you... Um, it can be very frustrating. Sure. <laughs> now, how do you know? What's that, what's that education stream? How do you know what to be prefer, prepared for? Like, where did you learn that? Experience, uh, growing up on a farm with a dad, uh, farming, you know, I learned a lot there. Uh, now, since I'm on my own and uh, also working for Judd Ranch, I, you know, they have a lot of experience in education and, and some things that I don't and vice versa. Uh, so I guess we, we share a lot of information in that regards. Um, but, and there's also a lot of information available from resources, whether it be extension services or universities or whatnot. Um, now, now sounds like Dave the other loves, people, go ahead, Dave. <laughs> sounds, sounds like the other people in your line of work really depend on one another and they trust each other and they share information and there's, uh, uh, a lot of mutual respect and, and communication that happens between people so that everybody is able to depend on everyone else. And, and so uh, it's like, you know, that a lot of people are looking out for your interest, just like you're looking out for them. Is that a true story or am I exaggerating? And no, I, I think much nicer than it is. I think it's definitely accurate as far as the trust and, and helping one another with the, how do I put this? The, the farmers and ranchers that are more successful, that are ready and get things done, there seems to be a lot more respect and, and uh, communication between those versus people that are on time versus people that are always doing things late and therefore their end results suffer a lot from that. Now, uh, I was going to say almost what Dave was getting into anyway. Um, he really has got me to pay attention to these relationships. Um, just in uh, just talking with him and, and looking at when you work with other people and share this information or lessons learned and things like that. What does that look like? Like, where does that happen? Does it happen out in a field or does it happen in a building or out for dinner or breakfast? You know, where does that 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 knowledge transfer what does that look like all of the above okay you ever see a bunch of farmers sitting around drinking coffee oh well, i guess in in uh, your neighborhoods you probably don't but uh, <laughs> if you go to uh, any rural town 
chances are there's going to be a bunch of beat up pickup trucks sitting around the local coffee shop someplace with people gabbing. But uh, that and certainly that, is a common way, but uh, it's not unusual to see neighbors stopping in and talking to neighbors in their yard or out in the field or, or wherever. But uh, yeah, I, th I think that that uh, process happens in probably about every location that they see any other farmers. So actually you and your, your colleagues, you're actually seeking out the latest information, uh, good news and, and maybe even bad news, you know, and, and kind of being up on the table, this is something worth talking about. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, if, if we share this information, we'll figure out a way to get through this together. For sure. And, and there's also a lot of uh, information available from universities. You know, their ag programs do a lot and extension services do a, a lot of research and have test plots and all over every year with different conditions. And so they put out a lot of information also, especially regarding the new technology and new processes. So it seems to be a, a good resource for that as well. No, I got an age-old question. Ah, okay. This is the age-old question. It wasn't on the list, so sorry about this. But do farmers actually use the farmer's almanac? Probably more wives' tales, I guess you would say, than <laughs> farmers' almanacs. You know, things that have been passed down from their dad and their grandpa and, and so forth, you know, with uh, sun dogs and you know, they always say that they're, you plant corn when the leaves on the hedge trees are the size of squirrel ears and, you know, things like that, that are just kind of, I guess you could say almanac-y, but uh, okay. most okay. of them I don't think refer to the book itself. Something about you want your corn to be knee high by the 4th of July, stuff like that. Yeah, usually around here at shoulder high by the 4th of July. <laughs> All right. yes, I'm familiar with that saying. Okay. <laughs> so do uh, you uh, also uh, raise alfalfa uh, to feed the cattle, or is that something that's primarily set aside for horses? No, uh, at the ranch we certainly do. Uh, alfalfa is a very good protein source for their diets. Uh, and actually, it's, that's what I was doing all day today was uh, spraying herbicide and insecticide on alfalfa uh, to keep the pests and competition out of it for the next three weeks for hopefully get another cutting of that. But yeah, how many cuttings? Go ahead. How many, how many cuttings do you get out of a field of alfalfa where you live? It uh, very much varies by the weather. Uh, this year, let's see, they just finished the fifth cutting, so we're hoping that we can get a sixth cutting in July, or in July, in October, uh, if uh, the weather cooperates and we don't get a, a killing frost too early. Yeah, yeah. I used to work with uh, what they call precision agriculture, where they use a global positioning system and ways of uh, putting together the soil maps and figuring out how much... Uh, fertilizer to spray in an area or how much pesticide to spray in an area and that kind of thing. And so you would vary the rates as you moved across a field with a, a spreader or an applicator. Uh, do you use those kind of technologies in the work that you do? Absolutely. 
the sprayer that uh, I run is uh, very much uses GPS technology. Uh, just the overlap and, and the efficiency is so greatly perform increased by that. Uh, the ranch also does use variable rates on their fertilizer. Um, I myself haven't done that yet. We actually just bought a machine this year that's capable of doing that. In the past, it's uh, we've had that custom applied. So hopefully this winter, I'll be doing a lot of uh, variable rate applications. That can save you a lot of money, a lot of money. Fertilizer, pesticides, uh, I've known uh, ranchers and farmers that were able to build uh, systems that uh, enable them to send their kids to different schools and buy their managers new pickup trucks. And you know, just because of the difference in the profit margin that they were able to experience by going to these technologies that help them to save money and also treat the land a little bit better too. Yep. And in some instances, it's not necessarily going to save any money or use less fertilizer. You're just going to get more out of the fertilizer because you're putting it where it can be utilized as a, as opposed to where, where it wouldn't be. And then you can track the crop that you get as you come off the field as well. Yep. So, yeah, yeah. James, I'm kind of revealing a part of my previous life here <laughs> that uh, you may not have been aware of. But no, no, case. I, I, uh, uh, so you should have known the answer to that farmer question. <laughs> That's what I, I tried heard. to tell you. I tried yeah, to tell uh, yeah. You. <laughs> uh, all right, Tim. So in our line of work, we have this phrase, we call it critical steps. And critical steps are basically those points in a job where there's no going back. Once you throw this switch or once you start this, you can't undo it. Right. Um, so, uh, if you could think of a critical step in, in any of the different areas of work that you do, um, can you explain what that is and, and how do you make sure you get that right? I think one of the critical steps would be, for example, a pre-emergent herbicide application. Uh, each crop, whether it be soybeans or corn or wheat, depending on what you plant, you have to use chemicals that are that that particular crop that you want to plant is tolerant uh, to those uh, so that would be one critical step because once you put that on you're pretty much committed sure. for that year Interesting. Uh, oh for the whole year yeah. I, oh wow i didn't realize that okay so um do the chemicals uh let's just talk about that that um that to me seems I don't know, anytime I hear chemical, it sounds dangerous. Um, can you dispel that or, or say, no, it is dangerous? You know, uh, like, are these big 55-gallon drones that go into these bigger machines? Like, like what does that look like? The, uh, how do you load up your, uh, your chemical sprayers? Well, I, I think any, any chemical certainly can be hazardous if it's not treated properly. Uh, our... Well, some of our herbicides come in five gallon or two and a half gallon jugs. Some of it comes in 275 gallon totes, depending on uh, how much of that one's going to use and also what our dealer carries. If he sells a bunch of it or uses a bunch of it himself, then he's going to have more bulk on those particular items. But uh, 
on the things that the chemicals that come in big on the big 275 gallon totes they've got a pump on them where I, I pump them into the receptacle on the sprayer that sucks the chemicals in and mixes it in the tank uh, others that come in bags or smaller jugs and I open those and and uh, dump them in by hand. Uh, are any of this stuff like dangerous to breathe um, or you know uh, or, or is it fairly safe to handle or what, what does that look like? I think most of it's fairly safe to handle. Uh, granted I'm not drinking a glass full of it out there either. Sure, sure. Um, but uh, to me, the, the ones that I care to handle the least are insecticides. Uh, it just seems like they've kind of got uh, more, more volatile vapors that, you know, you get a whiff of it and it's like, oh, I shouldn't be breathing that. Um, right, right. But I, but I think overall, uh, things are as safe as they can be. And, and if you take the proper precautions and respect it, um, then, you know, it's, it's all doable safely. I seem to remember um, when I lived out in Kansas, uh, uh, my next door neighbor told me a story. He was a, a volunteer firefighter and he told me a story um, about how dangerous it is to spread. I was talking to you about this, Dave, uh, uh, some ammonia. Um, ammonia nitrate or ammonia nitrate, like healthy. I assume anhydrous ammonia. Anhydrous that's, ammonia. It. that's it. Now, um, do you do that? Is that part of the work that you guys do or is that for something? The, the ranch does use anhydrous ammonia uh, on the corn ground pre-planting. I myself have not applied it. Uh, they've been doing that themselves, but yes, it is. It certainly is one of those things that have to, has to be respected and, uh, or yeah, they can, if you mess up, it can, you can end up hurt pretty bad real quick. And, and you have to really pay attention to the wind, too. Is that, is that right? Or The wind isn't that, that big of a deal on anhydrous ammonia because you're injecting it in the ground. Oh. Okay. So if, if conditions are correct, it all stays there. Um, the instance that a wind would be an issue is if you broke a hose or a line or, or you know, a mechanical malfunction that would release some into the air. Uh, that is when injury could happen is, sure. is when it gets airborne anhydrous ammonia uh, seeks water it absorbs water so the kind of burn that it gives you it's it's it, it's basically sucking the water out of you is is how it hurts you and it, it creates a burn wow. do you use any aerial applications uh for like insecticides or anything like that uh, crop dusters is something that uh, I always thought were just amazing that, that they were able to uh, find, a, find a, the field that they were looking for and be able to get right down on the, the level and be able to apply things back and forth across the field. Just a, a real work of art in some cases. Yeah, the, those guys uh, have to have nerves of steel. Uh, I don't know that I've got cojones enough to fly one of them little crop dusters. <laughs> I've seen them go underneath power lines before, and wow. yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, so typically, the only time that we'll use uh, have something aerial applied is if, like on corn, to apply fungicide late late season on the corn. 
uh, after it's tasseling and a lot of times hopefully the corn is too tall at that point to drive any ground equipment through it without causing damage to the plants. So that's when we used aerial application. Oh, interesting. Interesting. I always pictured somebody like James being one of those crop duster pilots. You know, he's just got that mustache and, and the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A barnstormer. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, right. That's you. <laughs> yeah. Let's see. What was, what was that movie with Will Smith in it? Oh, Independence Day with uh, the fellow, <laughs> the, the crop duster that comes and flies. Oh, that's flies. right. That's right. Yeah, he's he pretty it. typical for a crop duster guy. They're just <laughs> a little bit crazy. <laughs> Yeah, he was uh, uh, in his overalls in the fighter jet there uh, towards the end of the movie. Um, so what advice would you give somebody who's seeking to learn the work that you do? Oh, that's, that's a good <laughs> question. Uh, run. Run. <laughs> run away, run away. Stay, stay in town. Um, gen generally... You have to have it in your blood. You you have it's it's a part of you to be able to take what it requires uh, to be a farmer or a cattleman. It's usually not something that somebody can just walk in off the street and and be successful at it. Uh, just it's it's more of a lifestyle as anything. Uh, that's probably the hardest part of it, especially with families. Um, It could, it, you know, you could go a lot of ways with that, but as, as far as helping somebody, um, it, there's just so much to it um, that somebody would probably have to start out kind of as a little hobby farm and, and okay. get their feet wet a little bit as a hobby uh, and then, you know, kind of work up into it a little bit. Um, but it's, it's a very complicated in industry. Yeah, there's a lot goes into it. Uh, are there any opportunities to improvise in uh, the business when, when things go wrong? Uh, can you provide Daily. examples of where you have to say, whoa, uh, we, we, we got to figure out something else. I hadn't planned on this. I you know, didn't see this coming. Yep. I mean, I mean that's, that's a daily, daily thing, improvis improvisation. Uh, and I guess that's part of where being prepared comes in handy. Uh, be prepared for different situations. If it rains, we do this. If it don't rain, we go to plan B and do another task or plant a different crop or work on equipment. Say if we get rained out, and you can't do any field work, then there's always shop days uh, where you're working to get equipment ready. So when conditions are right, you can go again. But uh, certainly uh, that's uh, kind of the middle initial of being a farmer or a rancher is to be able to improvise and patch things together to make them work. So who makes those calls? Like what does the hierarchy look like at a, uh, at a ranch? Like is there one person that makes the call and everybody else gathers around and supports it? Or is it a discussion? You know, what, what does that look like? It, it can be both. Uh, at the particular ranch I work at, uh, Dave is the patriarch of the family and it, the operation basically consists of, of Dave and Cindy and, and then they have two boys that are my age and their families are all part of it. 
Um, so I would say that uh, dad definitely has the final say on things probably. Um, but there are also uh, times that a lot of input are taken, taken in from all parties as to, you know, it kind of just depends on the situation. Everybody kind of seems to have their own little expertise or niche uh, that they might be, one person might be referred to on versus, and, and so forth as to. So do you go in with the expectation of working eight hours or you're going to get this done today, no matter how long it takes? Like, what does that look like? Uh, yeah, that's probably the latter is more of the case. Uh, when I got hired to work there, I was uh, looking at uh, around 40, 45, maybe 50 hours a week. And that's considered part time. Uh, Full time <laughs> is probably more like 80 hours a week. Wow. Uh, but uh, definitely when conditions are right uh, to get something done, whether it be planting or harvesting, uh, for sure, you, you go and, and as long as conditions allow you to do so, whether it's running a combine till four in the morning uh, until it gets too damp or uh, chopping silage or putting up hay or, or whatever. Uh, just last week they were putting up alfalfa and we were building some terraces on another field during the day. And then at night, you have, a lot of times you have to bale the alfalfa at night where the moisture mm -hmm. level comes up so the leaves don't fall off. Um, so they'd be baling all night and just sleep for an hour or two and then go at it all again the next day. So this sounds exhausting. Oh my gosh, it does. But this this thing that I, I really want to delve into something that you said, this is this I'm finding this to be mostly the the fascinating thing, um, the preparation, the the being ready for for this. How do you know, or or is it just like you said, we have a plan A B C D and we just start with A, and if things change, we go to B. If things change, we go to C. Is that? kind of how it goes you just adapt to whatever's thrown at you uh, there's yeah a lot of adaption and changing on the fly is is certainly a name of the game a lot of times uh, at the ranch particular everybody's kind of got their little uh things that they're expected to do and relied upon to have their part ready uh, whether it's one guy putting on fertilizer and another guy having the planting equipment ready uh, you know, things like that. So everybody's relying. There's definitely very much team uh, that everybody has their piece that they're supposed to have ready. And, and when, the, when the time comes, hopefully all those pieces are ready to be put together. Go ahead, Dave. Yeah, sounds like teamwork is uh, a big part of, of what's going on here. And uh, team cohesion people uh, really understanding, like you said, what each person brings to the party, but then also uh, how they can relate with one another. And I've seen some teams that they don't even have to talk very much. They just kind of know what the other person's thinking. Uh, do you get to that level within uh, the teams that you work with? Uh, I think that there definitely is. Uh, I've only been there two years, so uh, I don't uh, know that I have, I have a general idea of probably what expectations are and so forth, but uh, I certainly don't have 
the uh, instinct of what each other's doing, like the family members do. And, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, a bigger organization like that. Uh, they have a lot more pieces and people that can offer more tools. Whereas when I'm at home on my small uh, cattle farm, then, you know, it's, it's mainly just me. My wife comes out and helps uh, when needed, even if it's just holding the gate or keeping something from running out of a pen while I'm doing something else. Or my father-in-law also uh, assisting that when needed. So, uh, you know, there's, there's just, uh, depending on what scale you're at, you may or may not have more tools or people to uh, make the, the whole thing come together. Yeah, sounds like everybody does their part, though, and you kind of have a feel for what each person contributes, can contribute, and, and maybe what's outside of their bailiwick, but uh, then you bring in maybe other people, neighbors, uh, friends uh, to help out once in a while when there's a gap? Uh, there's, there certainly are some uh, additional people around, yes, that uh, when you get to tasks that require more people than the usual, uh, they definitely have access to those resources, whether people that work day jobs and help on the weekends and evenings. So it's a community type of situation as well, and uh, you can tap into other folks. Uh, it's, a, it's a way of life, as you mentioned, that uh, is maybe unknown to a lot of people in the country, especially if they think of the people in middle America as uh, the flyover states and they're just used to being on the East Coast or the West Coast and, and not much else is happening in the middle. But there's a lot happening and there's a lot of value, valuable lessons, I think, that can be drawn from the way of life that, that, that you live. Certainly so. I mean, when you look at it, especially on smaller operations where there's just, you know, one person or, or two people, that person is basically every, every, holds every position that you would in a, in a big uh, corporation. You're going to have accountants and engineers and, you know, so forth, male people. Uh, the, that farmer does all of those tasks and and if you drop the ball on any of those, it certainly could have implications to the implications to all of the uh, other operations or parts of your farm, whether you mess up something accounting wise or uh, so forth, it, it can have drastic effects. Now, uh, when a farm or a ranch uh, hires some extra help, for a certain time of year or for, you know, they want you to stay on all year. Is that like a, uh, they let you know ahead of time if they're looking just for an extra set of hands or they're looking for somebody to give them those hands, but also they need your, your brain too. Like, uh, um, I just, uh, I'm kind of in awe, believe it or not, uh, about the whole, how many things you have to know to do this. Like you were saying, it's a one man show. You got to be an auto mechanic. You got to know how to use this, uh, these machines. You got to know uh, time of year. You have to know a lot about the weather, the soil, uh, just all these things. And, uh, and I feel like what happens if you get sick? Like, is that like the worst thing that can happen to uh, somebody running their own 
uh, show. Uh, or do you already have a plan in place for, uh, I already have friends I can pick up. Like what's that adaptability look like? Well, generally when you get sick, you keep working on through it. Uh, I guess the worst case scenario is, uh, is a severe injury, disabilitating injury mm-hmm. uh, would, would be the, I think, worst scenario on that. And in those times you, you see it quite often. That's when neighbors really, pick ant come in and, and you see quite often, you know, somebody has an injury, break a leg or even worse, or gets cancer or, you know, things that can happen to anybody. And it seems like a lot of times, especially at harvest time, that that's when the neighbors kind of gather up and, and come help them get their harvest in uh, type of things. But uh, yeah, I mean, there, there aren't any sick days on the farm. I mean, right. if, if the cows still have to be fed, uh, whether you, you know, if you have family members that can help pick up the slack. Um, but uh, generally somebody, a farmer or a cattleman would ha- have to be pretty out of it, uh, not being outside, still being outside and, and doing at least the bare minimum. To keep it going. Yeah. Is, that limits your vacations also, right? <laughs> Vacation when you get a long wet spill. <laughs> that's you know kind of how it was my whole life growing up we'd uh, be one morning you'd wake up and you'd go downstairs for breakfast and the parents would say pack your bags we're going to South Dakota to see Mount Rushmore or wherever for you know for a week and I mean that's just the way it was you didn't plan vacations you I'm sure mom and dad had in the back of their mind probably you know someplace that they'd like to go and see and take the family but uh as far as when that was going to happen, you had, you, had, you had to wait until the weather told you when it was going to happen. So you're adaptable there too. Yep. <laughs> it's it's a, a, a lot of just being adaptable all the time. Um, does that weigh on you in a stress factor way? I mean, I, I, it would me. That, that's why I wanted to uh, ask that question. I, I think it definitely does. And, even just like looking at the vacation aspect of it, my wife and her family, we like to do a family vacation every year or every other year where we'll all go and stay in a big house or a couple big houses someplace, whether it be it, you know, up at Yellowstone or up in the Rocky Mountains someplace in Colorado and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they schedule it. Oh, and so killer. I'm pretty much just like, that's fine, you know, that time frame, but I don't know if I'll be there because if I have to, be harvesting wheat or putting up hay or, or something rather than, you know, I'm not going to be there. So uh, it, it certainly adds stress to it because you want to be there. You want, you want to go do those things, but, and, and you also understand that they have to schedule their vacations and they have to schedule, you know, getting airplane tickets or, or so sure. forth. Uh, it's, it's just a complete different, different life. Are Saturdays and Sundays the same as a Friday and a Thursday? Or um, do you do get some break on the weekends? Generally at the ranch, I try to be at home most weekends. Uh, granted, that falls back to, you know, scenario A, if there's things that need to be done that they rely on me to do, then, then I, I feel obligated to be over there doing them. But generally when when i'm at home if it, on weekends or if it's 
too wet to do something at the ranch or whatnot and I have something that I can do at home, then I'll be at home working on, on my projects here or my wife's projects. I, so I have a very human performance kind of question for you. We have this notion that we call work as imagined. All right. So um, you're, you're talking with, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, the family or whatever and say, hey, this is what we plan on doing today. Work as imagined, whether it's today or this is what we plan on doing tomorrow or whatever. And then you do the work. And let's just say because of variability or, or whatever it is, equipment broke, you had to get through it. Um, and, and there's a gap in between the way it was imagined to be done and the way it actually was done. Um, after the job is over, do you forget about it? Or do you, do you talk about, hey, maybe this could have gone better if uh, we rented the equipment instead of owned our own equipment or... or like, is there ever like a lessons learned wrap up on, on these projects or is that that part of that coffee session? I, I think uh, a lot of it, that's where, that's where the experience comes from on, on knowing what to do and when it has to be done and when you have to be ready for those things is a lot of it as previous experience. Of, okay, this didn't work. I should have been prepared to be able to do something this, you know, plan B type of thing. Uh, you, you learn to have uh, different plans available because otherwise you'll, you know, when, when said scenario happens and you can't get something done and you're not prepared otherwise, then what? I've been uh, talking with James about what we call requisite variety. When you've got a complicated or very complex situation, you need to have alternatives for many, many different ways of getting things done, not just one way or two ways, but actually be able to adjust and modify the way things are done that gives you the optimal outcome uh, and, and the best that you can hope for in the way of uh, efficiency and, and production, uh, using your time wisely. Uh, that resource of time is always kind of a constant but then you've got everything else that comes into it, uh, like you mentioned, the weather. Uh, this, this whole idea of juggling things and keeping all the balls in the air or the Chinese juggler keeping the plate spinning, you know, this, this is something that uh, many people, I think, really don't appreciate that uh, people that work in agriculture are very adept at and very highly skilled at. For sure, and and I'm I'm always impressed with the the people at the ranch that I work with. The I I feel like I don't know anything a lot of times when I'm around them because they just you know I guess part of it's probably because of education. They've all have college degrees where uh, in animal science and agriculture where I didn't, so they probably had a leg up there on me, but. Uh, you know, just the, you know, we all have peers, I guess, and people that we uh, look up to, or, and uh, they certainly are for me, um, just because of, of everything that they know. Oh, not to, you, you did go to college. It was more for the, uh, the architectural side of things, though. 
So you can look at that barn and you can say, wait a minute, I, I can tell you what you did wrong here. <laughs> and, and they have played on those skills of mine at the ranch too. So, all right. Yes. All right. So um, what does uh, the teamwork, uh, just to jump on a little bit what Dave was talking about earlier, how do you, uh, do you joke with each other? Uh, is it a fairly serious day uh, all day long? Uh, What's the candor uh, out? And, and I don't get to say this to everybody. When you're in the field working, usually I don't mean an actual field, but in this case, uh, <laughs> what, what, what's that? What do the attitudes look like out there? Is it sarcastic, like maybe in the New England culture where we pick on each other, or is it um, just fun, uh, or or is it just work <laughs> and toil? All, all of the above, uh, obviously, there's, there's tasks that are more fun than others. Um, and there's also a lot of tasks that, you know, some are done collectively as a group where we're all working together. And then some days we're all off doing our own separate things. Um, I myself, you know, just kind of being my nature, I always, I'm being the one cracking jokes and, and making things fun and uplifting where, as, you know, some people are, are a little more uptight and serious. So there's, we all, we all have our own personality and, and all days require different personalities and, and different levels of focus and seriousness, but we certainly all like to have fun. Uh, we all like the work that we're doing in the overall picture. Uh, you know, if, if you don't enjoy doing it, then farming certainly isn't something that you should be doing if you don't enjoy it. Um, yeah. But uh, there's definitely, uh, you know, I, as with any job, we all have good days and we all have bad days. It sounds like um, this is just a, uh, it sounds like COVID hasn't really changed too much of the way you're doing your work this year. But I don't want to make that assumption. I want to ask, have you had to do a whole bunch of uh, uh, rethinking or adapting to um, uh, the pandemic requirements or anything like that? Not really. Uh, the biggest thing that uh, affects us is when you go into town to get parts or get lunch or whatever, you have to remember to take your mask with you. So, All right. Uh, so other than that, it really hasn't uh, affected things on the farm a whole lot. Other so than you, prices and, and demand have been the biggest hit of all that. It's been more of a, a financial hit uh, than it has for actual, you know, physical day-to-day -day doing things differently. Have you had uh, neighbors and friends that uh, have uh, contracted uh, COVID-19 and, uh, or is it a pretty rare situation because you're out there in a lot of fresh air and, and really don't uh, uh, worry so much about it day-to-day? Uh, it, it's uh, pretty definitely the latter part. I think here in Osage County, there's been like a total of 26 cases or something like that during this this whole time. Uh, so uh, that's we're very fortunate that it, you know we are separated out here and and we are out in the fresh air and and not confined to spaces. Uh, I think that's certainly a, an advantage and a perk uh, to being farmers. You don't necessarily have to be cooped up or in close contact with people if you don't want to be. Um, but uh, yeah, so, so, so far it's been pretty, 
pretty uh, minimal as far as actual people contracting of it. You'll hear of people that have been exposed to it and been quarantined, but I personally don't know, do not know a single person. I don't think that has had it. When you're getting ready to do um, a job for the day, do you have like, a, we would call this a pre-job brief. Like, do you talk about, hey, the roles and responsibilities, like today we're going to do this field or something like that. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. You're going to do this. Do, do you have any questions about what you need to do? Is, is there something like that that happens? Or is it more you show up and you kind of know what you need to do? Like, what does that look like? There would be some of both. Uh, I definitely check in with Nick about every day, usually, unless I have know from the day ahead what what uh, they're requiring of me. But uh, most of my days usually begin with a phone call or a text saying, hey, what do you want to work on today? What do you want me to do today? Yeah. Uh, whether it be you know spraying a crop or fixing something or hauling grain to the elevator, uh, so forth. There's just... Uh, a wide variety of tasks that uh, there's definitely a, a brainstorm pretty much every day as to who's going to be doing what. Now, um, fixing something like uh, a fence or like uh, a tractor or like, do you have to have a whole bunch of different talents on fixing stuff? Is that part sure. of adaptability? Yeah. Sure. Uh, one of my specialties is welding. So I, I do a lot of welding projects in the shop, whether it's constructing new gates or welding on a piece of equipment that something's broke on or a cattle feeder, calf feeder. So you got a weld also? Yes. How did you learn that? Just by watching other people or? Well, I got started at home working with dad, uh, you know, old farmers, they, they do a lot of welding on, on things when they break. You usually don't have time or can afford to take it to town to have a blacksmith or a machinist fix it. So you cobble it together yourself. And, and I had welding classes in high school uh, that certainly taught me some new skills. And, and from there, it's been experience just trying it and doing it. And you like anything, practice makes perfect, and I'd better keep practicing. <laughs> One of the guys in our uh, class earlier today said something about, uh, he's from Kansas also, and he says, uh, uh, ask him if he has a crescent wrench and some bailing wire with him, like right now. <laughs> like, is that something? Uh... <laughs> uh, I don't have a crescent wrench. I've, I've got a pair of pliers on me. <laughs> And I've got a knife on me. Nice. Uh, uh -huh. Or my day-to-day, uh, -day, I don't leave ha leave the house without them. You guys wear a lot of hats um, uh, to get through your day. And it, it's it's fascinating. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot uh, to it. And uh, I think we're, James and I are sitting here saying, man, how does he do it, you know? How, how, how does he get it all uh, lined up and day after day and week and year in and year out, uh, make it all happen? Like you said, it's, it's, a, it's a way of life. And uh, it's, it's something that, uh, I don't know, it seems to be really special for people looking at it from on the outside. But I know people on the inside maybe are saying, well, that's just what we do. That's you know, a, yeah, that's, that's a just us. That's just who we are. That's what we do. You know, 
But uh, there's another aspect to this. It's the, I'm leaving my farm to go work on somebody else's farm so I can come back to my farm. And uh, uh, it, it, so that's the mind blowing thing. It's not like you leave the comfort of your home, you drive, uh, like you said, 15 miles and go to work and then I come back home and I just go to bed or I go have fun or something like that. No, I'm coming back to another job. Um, this is the way of life thing. And uh, I found that a lot of the people that I met that live in Kansas have their own farm or some kind of ranch situation. And they have a, what, did you say your real job? Well, I don't know how you worded that, but your, <laughs> your, your, uh, your other job or, or something on those lines. But um, now, can we talk just for a moment about your organization at your home? Like, uh, how many herd of cattle do you have right now? How many herd? How many head? Sorry, head. Just <laughs> <laughs> switch one extra letter in there. there uh, I currently am running about 30 cows. Uh, they're all pretty much uh, calve in the fall. And so we'll start doing that here in about the next two weeks. 30 cows to calve out and then feed them for the winter and then come may uh to grass time then that's when i'll wean the calves off of the cows and and the calves will get fed here at, at home and then the cows go out to grass for the summer talking with james about how sometimes uh you guys need to keep track of pastures and how much time you spend in one pasture and then how much uh time in another and there's this like rotation from different pasture to pasture in, in, in order to you know, make sure that the grass doesn't get so eaten up and 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 uh, destroyed, basically. So you have to keep rotating things around. Is that how you do things, or is it just one big open space and you just let things go? There's uh, different ways of doing it. The whole rotational grazing thing is usually kind of limited to smaller operations. Uh, where you, you have a limited amount of, of land and you're really trying to get the most out of it. Uh, that's mm -hmm. where rotational grazing can happen smaller paddocks where you make, sh make the cows utilize every blade of grass out there back basically. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, bigger ranches, um, the cows are going to be turned out on the, you're going to have bigger groups of cattle on, on bigger pastures. And in, in those situations, the cattle tend to be more selective as to which types of grass they're eating and, and weeds and so forth. But there's, there's a management aspect to that too, to keep the more desirable species healthy and growing and, and in a condition where they are the dominant species of, of plants growing and, and not being overcome by weeds and less favor, favorable grass. So there's definitely a constant management to that. But uh, generally we have, you know, a set stocking rate. We know this, this pasture is 160 acres and it can handle 25 cows on it on a normal year. And then you, you adjust that as needed. If it's a drought year, you, you know that you can't put them out, put as many out there, or there you might have to take them off of grass and bring them home and, and feed hay that you've harvested during the summer and, and uh, other protein supplements, so forth to manage that. Because if you let them 
take it down to bare grass or bare dirt, basically, then you're going to be overcome by weeds and, and less favorable species of vegetation that uh, in the long run uh, can have a pretty severe economic effect. Yeah, yeah. How did you uh, come upon uh, the red Angus type of uh, cattle? Was that something that your family has already been in or did you decide, you know, that's, that's where the money is or, or what? I, I got started on it with, uh, that's what my father-in-law was running when uh, I met, met my now wife, uh, and, and he still is, so I guess I got into the Red Angus that way. Uh, the Red Angus currently is one of the hot, hottest breeds that there is in, in beef production, um, so it, 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 it's certainly more popular than it was, you know, 20 years ago. Uh, these cows have uh, s some very desirable features with uh, kind of a balance between fertility and, and being a mama and uh, your carcass qualities. Uh, there's, you know, a lot of people say that uh, the Red Angus is about the, the finest eating experience that you can have as far as when it comes to beef, you know, domestically. Out of your refrigerator, I can attest to that. <laughs> and, and and really that's one thing that i love love doing when i have company that is used to grocery store beef mm -hmm. i love to pull them out a nice ribeye and slap it on the grill right then and there and say and he, this yeah is he did supposed to taste like so i get i get a kick out of doing that yeah well uh that was what uh two years ago now, and I will never forget it. I mean, that was a moment. That was a, I didn't know that was on my bucket list thing. You know, that was really awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and and, and, uh, and my wife says, yeah, we, well, we kind of look off to the pasture and feel a little guilty <laughs> as we're snarfing down this amazing beef. We're like, <laughs> pretty sure you knew this one, but that's okay, you know? <laughs> oh man. And, 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 you know, and that's a part of it that we grow up learning as well. You know, you, you know what your food sources are. You, you know that you're, whether you're growing vegetables in the garden or you're growing the cattle or you're planting crops, soybeans and corn to make food with, uh, that, that's the part of life. And, and to be able to provide these safe and, and healthy quality products for human consumption, there's, there's definitely a pride to, to doing that. Um, but, you know, we're we learned that growing up and our kids are taught that growing up, you know, you, you might name some calves or if you got something that you show at 4-H or so forth, you become pretty attached to it. But you just know that in the end run, the end of the whole deal, it, it's going to be somebody's dinner, whether it's your own or or you sell it to someone else to eat. Well, on that happy note, <laughs> <laughs> we want to be respectful of your time. It's, uh, we know it's getting late for you, especially yeah. for James out there in Connecticut. That, oh, yeah. uh, it's after 10 o'clock. out anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's dark out. <laughs> yeah. But I really appreciate you taking the time, Tim, to, to talk with us and share your ideas about uh, human organizational performance, high reliability, and how it all applies to your neck of the woods, you know, and, and what you do in, in uh, real life where you're at. It, it's something that uh, I think we'll be 
able to share with others and they'll be able to say, man, I never knew that. I'm glad I listened to this. This was awesome. You know, so thanks. Thanks a lot. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Yep, my pleasure. Anytime. Hopefully, hopefully your listeners aren't all, you know, falling asleep by now. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's a, uh, it's amazing. The level of adaptability and we kind of honestly expected to have that. You were going to say some of that stuff. Yeah. You know, because when you get your stereotypical, what is a 2020 farmer or rancher deal with on a daily basis, we have to imagine there's a lot of things you have to adapt to. But the level of preparedness and the level of training, or uh, whether you want to call it that or not, uh, the experience and all that, just to uh, be able to accumulate that and uh, learn those lessons to apply them going forward and and then given these crazy situations have the community of your uh, peers and other families help out when when possible it, it's a uh, it's a very different kind of job you know uh, than than other people we we plan on talking to and i love that it's so different and and that you had or you actually i know you had to make the time to be able to chat with us this evening. So I really appreciate that. And my pleasure. Anytime. It's a pleasure right. to meet you, Tim. Likewise, and, uh, David. All right. And all right. Uh, who knows? We might get up there to Kansas again sometime uh, in the future. Who knows? Absolutely. And if that'd, we do, that'd be great. We can get together and I'd cook you a nice juicy steak. Oh man. That's uh, that, awesome. That ribeye sounds like it's right up my street. So <laughs> It's a good street to be on. (laughs) Take care, guys. All right. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Bye-bye.